Dr. Kayu's about COVID-19 vaccine side effects. It's true that some people will have mild short-term side effects after getting vaccinated like pain, redness, or swelling where they got the shot. Other people can sometimes have tiredness, headaches, muscle pain, chills, fever, or even nausea. These are normal signs that your body's building protection. I tell my patients to learn more at cdc.gov. KYBN, Brussels, Belgium. The time is now. The place is here. We're going to have a little talk. It's just chat with Bree. Right now on KYBN Radio. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the host and the host alone and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the KYBN radio network. Due to its content, viewer discretion is advised. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to Just Chat with Bree. Today, we have a very special program with a dear friend of ours. We're going to do a recap for those of you who don't know, Mr. Damon Cook. Hi, Damon. How are you? Wonderful, Bree. How are you? I'm awesome. It's so good to hear from you. It's been a minute. Yeah, it has. Stuff's moving fast out here, I'm telling you. Now, for the listeners who don't know who you are, let's pretend like this is the first time meeting and tell them who you are so we can catch up. Okay, I'm just a guy trying to make it in this cool, cool world. <laughs> My name is Damon <laughs> Cook. I'm, uh, I'm the, sometimes the CEO, sometimes the janitor, it doesn't matter, of the Uncuffed Project. And what the Uncuffed Project is, is that we help the formerly incarcerated men and women reacclimate and reenter into society and, and try to Give them some uh, different look, holistic way, way of um, returning back to society by helping them with their basic essentials and helping them get reacclimated and do all those things. So, yeah, that's I guess that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and so for the listeners who don't know, we started a series with Damon almost two years ago, and he gave us updates on reacclimation. He found he's the founder of. Um, the Uncut Project, and we are here today to catch up and find out what all has gone on since last year when we were talking. Ooh, so much, so much. So let's first, start little say, and work our way. All right, so let's start with me personally. When we started the series and we started talking to me, I was actually on parole, and I wanted to walk our listeners through what it feels like and what it sounds like to someone who was away from, I was incarcerated for 31 years, 60 days. When I got out, I wanted to chronicle the things and the experiences I had so that people knew exactly what these challenges were. So when they have loved ones that are in these situations, there are some things in the mental aspect that people don't talk about. And I wanted to be transparent and talk about things. We talked about Walmart. We talked about going to different <laughs> places, right, for me, because it was all new to me when I got out. Right. So uh, I just been keeping keeping tabs on things like that, and I wanted the people to know that the journey was long and it was arduous, 
but it was well worth it. Because probably about the 11th month mark, I was notified that I was no longer on parole. Congratulations. Thank you. That right there was the biggest crux to anyone who was formerly incarcerated getting out is discharging and giving them back the number. That was been my motive, my mantra. Give the number back because as long as you're on paper or as long as you are being monitored, then you're still a slave to the system. And I just couldn't do it anymore. So I did everything in my possible powers not to be on paper anymore. And that was a journey in itself, wasn't it? Absolutely. I was I was consistently, you know, with the raids, the 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 uh um urinalysis tests, all these things are barriers to try to keep a guy or keep someone in a position of bondage. And I just simply defied it. I said, No, I'm not doing anything. We're gonna stay on a straight and narrow and then I'm going to petition the California Department of Corrections and say, Hey, I've done enough. I've given you 31 years. I don't need to give you any more. It's time to go move on. And they agreed because of the things that I was doing in the community. It just made it difficult for them to say no. And that really was my, my energy, right? I want to make it very hard for you to say no to me. Right. Right. Now, you know, like in the movies, um, and, and, and I say in the movies because a lot of people would have to relate to that. So in the movies, you know, there's there's a person out walking, minding their own business, and up pops a parole officer and, and in the middle of a meeting, in the middle of whatever. Was that what it was like realistically, or is that just a dramatization? No, actually, that's, an, that's a slight exaggeration, but it is a reality, right? So sometimes to emphasize the point, of really transparency and what the agencies do. So people like to exaggerate what a parole officer, but he has the ability or she has the ability to, to disrupt a pro parolee's life at any moment that they feel deemed necessary. And no one can say anything. So that example you gave about being at work, yeah, that happened to me. I was in a meeting. The parole agents came through. They shook down the meeting because everyone at the at the uh, agency that I was in was uh, formerly incarcerated. So we were all subject to search and seizure, which if you're doing the right thing, that doesn't bother you. It just still feels evasive, especially after you've been in prison for so long. It just feels like, but you have to get past the mental blocks of that. So a lot of times I will remind parolees, listen, man, there's a reason why I'm calling this uncuffed, right? Take these shackles off your brain. Let them do their job. As long as you're doing yours, then it won't get out of hand. But if they act outside of the scope of their job description, then there are repercussions that we can, there are things we can do like we can file for them, we can, we can get a lawyer, we're free. We don't necessarily have to take on all this like when we, when we were inside. So that's, that's what was happening. Wow. Now, just one quick question. When it comes to stress of having to stop and, and do a urinalysis or having to, you know, sit and talk as opposed to um, just moving on with your life, those disruptions, how stressful was that? And I mean, I can imagine because I have been on the opposite side, as we know, of that uh, that scenario. But how much stress was relieved once you became a non-parole person as opposed to the everyday goings of, of that happening? Okay, so let me say this. Uh, I'm kind of an anomaly in this sense. I wasn't a guy who was, had a substance abuse problem. I wasn't a guy who, who had a drug problem. So the fear of a urinalysis test wasn't as great as it was for someone else. What I feared in the process was that they said I gave them a positive 
your analysis, and I don't even smoke weed or do anything like that. I don't right. use drugs, and I was afraid of that. I was afraid of the games more than I was afraid of me actually turning up hot for any type of uh, UA. So I, I, I know the anxiety because there's so many times that uh, prisoners and ex-prisoners, when we get out, we see the games that, oh, you tested positive, and God's saying, I didn't do it, and this and that. And it's, it's so easy for the outsiders to believe that men and women didn't do what they or did do what they said they did when we've seen the opposite side. So it's kind of like a conundrum. I don't know. It was for me, it was like, well, I don't mess around, so I'm good on that aspect. But those who did, I can see the paranoia sitting in because, you know, in truth and transparency, some cats just don't want to act right. They just don't. Right. right. So they're going to get right. high. And, and then they're going to blame the system when they actually were high, right? So I, we, it has to be both sides. That's why I looked at things objectively. I want to make sure both sides are represented correctly, even though I was never on the other side. They are good agents. And I had an agent that was absolutely phenomenal. She was wonderful. But there were those that weren't. And that's just a personality thing. That's just human beings, right? Human nature. Some right. people want to go harder in the paint. Some people don't. <laughs> this is what it is. Right. So to be fair... There are good officers and good agents, and, and they do their job, but some have agendas. And we just have to be honest about that and say, hey, there are bad apples on both sides, and let's just keep it moving. But I was fortunate. And I am so happy for you. And, again, I want to extend a congratulations because I know it was a long, hard road, and I know that it had to be. Well, as we discussed, overwhelming with so many different things that you were reintroduced to, and I... I congratulate you on the fact that you hit that milestone. So we're going to go to a brief break, and we're going to come back and find out what Damon has been doing since the last time we talked to him. So, listeners, we'll be right back. Oh, baby. Listen, girl, many guys has come to you with the lines that wasn't true, and you passed them by. Though you're in the silly ring, and their lines don't mean a thing, why don't you let me try? Let me try. No, I don't wear a
There's more fun, more talk, more music just dead ahead. Don't you go anywhere because there's more just chat with Bree to come. Huntingdon, Cambridgeshire, UK. And welcome back to Just Chat with Bree. And today we have one of our favorites, Mr. Damon Cook. He is the CEO of the Uncupped Project. Last time we talked, 
you were venturing in so many different directions um, um, at, at football games and working with youth and working with homeless. And I think the last thing we talked about was a tiny homes project. So I'd like you to bring us up to date on what all you did complete or or what you're in the midst of just you got the floor okay oh okay so let's take i'll take you back when when i was i was released i was released to a transitional program and in the program i decided that i saw some things that i wasn't comfortable with i saw some management situations that i felt could be done better that's just me looking for better solutions and since I was the one in bondage and the men that were in the homes with me were all in the same situation, I set out to change the narrative. I wanted to change the way that people who give people an opportunity to transition, how they treated the people that were coming out, right? I felt it was a, of, um, a coldness and, and, and lack of empathy for the man who has just been traumatized by being incarcerated. So the first thing I said was, wow, if we can get some spaces to allow these people, and that's what morphed into the time homes thought process. I would visit encampment, feed young, and 70% of um, uh, formerly incarcerated are found in these unhoused shelter type uh, encampments that we see around the cities around America. 70%. That's a huge number. So in California, for me to go into the encampments and recognize the men that I had served time with inside the institutions, it broke my heart. So I said, how can we as a society be better? So what I started to do was talk about building tiny homes. And with the help of Mission Samoa and understanding what they were doing, I said, oh, okay. So they started and they put together 20 tiny homes. And that gave me the the idea, wow, we could be bigger than we actually appear to be right now. Because if I could do 20 on this little parking lot, what about doing 50 in a bigger environment? What about changing the way that the tiny homes look? A lot of times people will drive by the freeway and see them and they look like uh, shit. That's why I said they look like tool sheds. And I didn't like that. I didn't like that look at all. There was no love in those in those sheds. It was just, hey, here's a place for you to sleep and that's it. I didn't like that feeling. So I spoke to a few architects, and I said, what if we design communities and we change the narrative of how that looks? So some people said, wow, that sounds like a good idea. I know it's going to take a lot of money. So I said, all right, what I'll do is I'll develop the model first, and then we'll move into the next phase. So quickly, um, I got the first house probably about a month after I was off parole. Because when you're on parole, you can't have a transitional house. Okay. So I've set up, I set up everything before I got off parole, waiting for the day that I could get off. So the moment that they told me that I was off, two things I did. The first day, I went and applied for my passport. The first day, they told me I was off parole. Right. And six weeks later, I got a passport, right? So while in that process of waiting for that to happen, then I said, let's put together a house. So I got with some people, and we put together our first uncuffed house. It had six beds in it. Six beds at the time was moderate, right? Small kind of property. But it, we, it wasn't just a, it was a home. It wasn't a house. It was a home. And that meant something to me. It was warm. It was engaging. There's, you know, televisions in every room. There's amenities. I gave everyone a tablet, a cell phone. And so when you walked into the uncuffed house, you felt like you lived there and you weren't visiting. And that's what I wanted that feeling to feel like when these men were getting out of prison. So I was happy to go and say, hey, man, I would like you to come into this transitional house. And the people, the first people I put in the house were some guys I did time with. One of them was Mr. Johnson. And 
he, Mr. Johnson, he, he said that his, he gave me permission to say this. He, he was what they call the compassionate release because he had cancer or he has cancer. And so no one would take him in the transitional setting. So the district attorney called me and said, hey, would you mind taking one of these guys out of San Quentin? And I said, absolutely. Are you kidding me? You don't even have to say it twice. And so what we did was we created a respite care type environment. Everybody understands everybody's medical conditions, and we try to work with each other. Here's a man with, with colon cancer and uh, with uh, also with prostate cancer, and he's in the final stages of his life. But we wanted that to feel like, hey, man, there's some people that care about you and some people that have chewed the same dirt, so to speak. We've been in the same situation. So we created a home atmosphere. He gets home-cooked meals every night. He can relax. He can be on his tablet play games, he can watch television, watch cable, whatever he wants as long as he's there and he's in a good setting. That's what I set out to do. And we did. Wow. Wow. What a long way. What a long way. Oh, my goodness. But wait, Bree, there's more. (laughs) (laughs) When you have one house, you become addicted to the humanity and seeing what happens to people and changing lives. So quickly, we grabbed another one. But here's what happens. Simultaneously, I'm teaching gang education at Juvenile Hall. That job morphed into something bigger. It morphed into what happens to these young men, 18 to 25, that get released out of Juvenile Hall? What happens to them? The question. So I asked the chief of probation. He says, well, I don't know. We send them back to their house. And I said, are you aware that sending these young men back to the environment that caused them to come to uh, prison or come to juvenile hall in the first place could be a detriment. Why don't we create a step down program where we can, I can take these young men and give them life skills. I can teach them, teach them how to reacclimate because I just did it. And he said, I think that's a great idea. So the second house, we take the juveniles and now we bring them in and they have a mentor assigned to them who was formerly incarcerated with lived experience. So wow. we just had our first guy got out. And we have five more in the pipeline in the next six weeks. And each each person, we call it a warm handoff. So as soon as parole, and I was in the courtroom when the judge released this young man. She saw the work he was doing inside. She saw the programs he was involved in. He was in my program inside. I wrote a letter for him, not saying that that helped, but I wrote a letter. And then afterwards, the judge was very uh, gracious in saying that, thank you for being a model or an example for somebody who is in this position of vulnerability. And I thought that, wow, this is heavy because this has been the calling for me. I didn't realize it would be this much, but it was. And so helping that young man move and navigate was something that I was bound to do. And now watching all the young men and see their faces when they saw the one of their own get out, reach back to them inside and say, yeah, man, it's good. It's good, right? And that's a big endorsement for what we're doing. Wow. And now we've got this young man an internship. He's, he's going to school. We've got him some, um, a stipend to get, so he can get on his feet. And he's just basically out in the community living life, which is a beautiful thing. Wow. That is awesome. Wow. Uh, again, congratulations on that progress. We're, we're going to go to a break, and I'm going to let you come back and finish updating us on what's going on. Um, listeners, we're listening to Mr. Damon Cook from the Uncuffed Project, and we're, li- we're, we're listening to all the advances that they have made in the last 18-plus months. So we'll be right back.
just wreck the pump boom, boom. want to touch up on the floor and beat boom, boom, boom. Work your body, woman, till you can't stop. Come, you have the shape and the figure, girl, you excite me. Every time you walk by me with your sexy body, but I'm not looking for no complexity. All I want to do is just rock your body. Hey, King, I got the word. Your queen come when you call. I stack my own bread. So we both shine when we ball. No star with it, yeah, I'm all with it. Stick with your thick and thin through the empire. Rise or fall with it. Love when you're all in it. Plus, I'm digging just what you do. Chocolate walls catching your melt on you like So addictive, got you ready to blast and test the crime rate. Stress free is the mind. Say to watch me as a gyrator rock. Let me rock your body, baby. All night long. You're beautiful, you're strong, and you love your king, man. Behind a successful man, there is a good woman. Show me, don't go leave and go get with no jing bang. We play me like big bang. Come me you sing song and take away me money and go run me with next man. That's why I got to have my shot to love. But Shotty got that nice, sexy body to love. Again, I said I need my shot to love. But Shotty's like a blessing from heaven above. Baby girl, you got the class. I said again, you got the And girl, you got that personality. Why? So let me rock your body, baby. Rock your body. Let me rock your body. Baby 
Alfonso every Thursday at 8 p.m. on Talking Out Loud with A.L. Cooper. This is an entertaining and engaging show that offers real talk for real people right here on the World Advantage Network, Studio One. to just chat with Bree and today our special guest Mr. Damon Cook from the Uncuffed Project. Uh, Damon I'm giving you the floor. Uh, I, the listeners the old listeners they would know what you do. Um, the new listeners they got a little bit of a, of a scenario of what you do. I just want you to continue to update us on well one tell us one thing that's different for you besides not, no longer being on parole. Tell us one thing that that you unique. You know how each week you used to tell us, oh, I went to McDonald's, I went to the dollar store, and this. It, what's something that you got to do that was a, a milestone for you since since we last talked? Uh, I got cleared to go back inside a facility of men and young ladies that were incarcerated. Oh, wow. That was huge for me. Oh, and wow. to have law enforcement say, we appreciate you doing the work. We're going to allow you to walk through where we walk through instead of walking through the back door with all the chains and the locks and the cells. I walk through the front door with a pass and can go into juvenile hall and can go into the county jails and have a conversation about life skills, financial literacy, and how to change your life. I, I do believe it starts from within. You can't do this once you get out. You have to plant the seeds while they're there and then start offering programs so that these men and women can start to make the change. It takes a minute. And I tell them it's not overnight. But when you make that change, it's no greater feeling in the world. There's no bigger high than you saying, I'm no longer going to be a detriment to society. I'm going to contribute. And contributing to society can go a long way in this world. And and you don't understand it fully appreciated until it's taken from you. When you're sitting in a cage, 
thinking about it, it's no good. And then you say, wow, what have I done? And everyone, and I say this empirically, everyone has that moment where they're sitting there on their bunk saying, what the hell have I done? But now, how many people are going to say, what can I do about it to change it? And so that's where I think what we come in, because we go back inside and say, you can change it. You're not relegated to the bad decision you made that landed you in here. You're not defined by that. I'm the worst of the worst, and I've changed. So, And I say that because my thought process, that stinking thinking, as we call it, was a real problem, right? But that is a condition of the environment. So if I can change the environment, then I can change the condition. So that's what I'm setting out to do. That's the mission. So that's the things for me that has changed, setting out and changing and rewriting the narrative, Bree. Wow, wow, wow. That's Man, this is amazing. I'm just so proud of you and so proud of your program. Um, have you been getting any help? Has, have you, you know, who who are your workers and who are your, your helpers that, that um, you know, that work with you? Are they volunteers? I oh, mean, oh, well, oh, I'm glad you said that. Okay, let's, let's break that down. So to answer your first question, Bree, we get minimal help. But, we, you know, we're always, as a nonprofit, we're small. We're always looking for donations, right? You can always reach us out at theuncuffproject.org. We're always doing looking for donations. That's just what it is, right? But the graciousness and the gratitude that I feel from the formerly incarcerated, those who have had, were in the struggle that want to give back. So our force are probably 150 plus. Those young men and women, we all give our time because we all believe in the cause. But I always believe in giving the person a living wage so that if there is a community service project that's set out to do, we've done a few of those, we go out and we, uh, I, I, I can tell you what we did. Uh, this is a real big thing because when we opened the first house, the neighborhood wasn't the best neighborhood. But I didn't approach it in a negative sense. I approached it in a positive way. I said, we're going to beautify the neighborhood and show you who we really are. So once we fixed up the first house, we fixed up the neighbor's house next door. Then the other neighbor on the other side said, man, we like what you're doing. We told him what we're doing. Said, hey, do you mind if we clean your gutters, if we uh, pressure wash your house, if we paint it, if we just made this place feel like a home again instead of like a dilapidation that's going on in society and they all were very gracious and, and willing to do it and we said look we don't have an agenda other than this to change the narrative of who you think we are and that's what has been going on so now we have these projects we go to these communities and we start doing things to change the narrative of how people perceive formerly incarcerated and some of the older people in the neighborhood maybe their grass is not as cut like it used to be we take care of it we don't charge them that's what we do and you get so much more out of helping some without having to ask them, oh, I need some money for this or that. I'm telling you, it's so much richer when you just do it because that's the right thing to do. What happened to that when we were a kid? You see an old lady walking the streets, you, she's carrying a bag, you help her cross the street and you take her bag, right? Instead, she's clutching her purse thinking, oh, the God, they're trying to rob me. We're trying to rechange that narrative because when I was a kid, it's respecting your elders was the first and foremost thing because everybody's got a mom, a grandma, someone that they care about. And so why, how can we can't help the people? That's what that's what it really what it boils down to helping the people. Wow, wow, that's outstanding. Um, I mean, that's it's really really outstanding. And do you have um, 
Well, I want you to give your information again. I want you to give your website where people can go to read about the Uncuffed Project and to also give donations or to volunteer or whatever um, assistance that you need. I want you to give that Uncuffed Project um, name again. And you also have additional uh, locations now, right? Yes. So um, we're doing a lot of things. So let me give it to you. We're at the uncuffedproject.org, right? Right. And on the site, there is a section where you can donate directly. It is a tax write-off. It is a tax deduction. Um, we are, we will and can take, if you have vehicles that you want to donate, because we can refurbish them and then repurpose them. So for instance, we got a vehicle donated to us. A couple of the guys used to be mechanics. We took that aspect, right? Right. And uh, turned that into something. And um, so it's all these kinds of things that we are, are really just trying to show people a better way. So we, we don't turn anything down. If you want to help us, we do that. We also have the food giveaway that we do every week where we work with the church out in Livermore called The Well. And our guys go out there and volunteer, pass out, you know, hundreds, maybe a thousand meals to the people who are less fortunate. And there's also the community service. There's so much. It's so enriching that most of the people, when they do it for the first time, they get addicted. They get addicted because it's it's gratifying to serve much more than people think. Right. People are so caught up in their worlds, they forgot the humanity in that. And if we all looked at it from a different perspective, a different prism, you can really see the benefit if the community came together. So instead of trying to ask people to do it, we just do it. And then if you jump in, we're happy you just jumped in. Right. 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 We're going to do it. We're going to do it. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Oh, my goodness. Our time is going by so fast. We're going to go to a quick break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to wrap it up with Damon. Man, I, I really miss our our weekly meetings, and I know you are so busy now. It was so hard to catch up with you, but I am just so tickled that you had the time today to be able to come in and share with us all of the new things that are going on. So we're going to go to our, our, our last break, and then I'm going to give you the floor when we come back, Okay. Okay.
University in 3D, June 21st. Your Bay Area's best, KYBN. Welcome back to Just Chat with Bree. And today, Mr. Damon Cook, one of my favorite people. I used to get to talk to him every week, and now it's months and months apart. But <laughs> he is the founder and CEO of the Uncuffed Project right here in the Bay Area. And he's doing awesome work, and he's really an asset to the community. As usual, I let this segment be the segment that I give to you to let the listeners um, and, and anyone know what you want them to know. Don't forget to also give that um, contact information again before you close and tell us what you want us to know, what we need to help with, and what new projects are going on in the future. So the floor is yours, Damon. Okay. Um, so I guess what I really want the viewers to know is that this is a never-ending process until we can eradicate unhoused and homelessness that we're always going to uh, be looking towards the community to reach out. Do not fear those who are in these encampments. These are your brothers, your sisters, your mothers, your cousins. And sometimes people fall on bad times, hard times. And let's look for solutions on how to help those who are unhoused. The main thing for me is understanding the mental health aspect of it. Just imagine how traumatizing it is if you lose everything and now you're having to fend on the street and there's so much dysfunction and so many other things. But if we look at it through the eyes of someone who is compassionate and who understands that sometimes things happen to people, folks get in the situation, but that doesn't mean we throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's just reach back in there and try to help because when you get one person let's say I saw 
40 last week. All 40 had issues. One came out of the issue. It is so gratifying and so energizing. You want to go back in and get the other 39. That's just what happened. Right? So right. you can't expect it to happen overnight. But for me, it is it is so gratifying just to see people start to regain themselves again. And and, and that's what I just really want to say and, and offer that up to the listeners that don't lose hope in humanity. Stay in it with me. I'm here. <laughs> and so if you see me and you want me in it, let's do it because this is the importance of what we do. Right. Uh, I, I, I think uh, I don't know what else to say other than to say this. There are opportunities out there for people to get involved that doesn't necessarily mean monetarily. What we're looking to do is refurbish and refabricate old abandoned buildings, old structures that people have just grown by and they don't even think they're worth anything. My team will come together similar to the Habitat for Humanity, but this time we can create a new living space for those who are just down the street living in their cars and in tents. We can change that whole narrative, but it all starts with trust. The community has to trust that the work we do is going to have what we call the emotional payoff. It's not always the payoff that you think because the little things turn into bigger things. It's almost like the butterfly effect, possibly the ripple effect. Everything is affected by one movement, one change. So that's that's really what I wanted the listeners to understand. This is not for the faint of heart, but there has to this work has to be done. And uh, and I said, okay, let's go. Right, right. And now, just uh, once again, who do you help and how do you help them? Okay, I help the, those who are justice impacted. So that could be the family of someone who's in prison. It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, other people. It could be the family. So I help those who are justice impacted, those who have been found themselves in the carceral system in any capacity, those people who have been traumatized. Now, here's the ironic twist in this. I have helped other correctional officers who have found themselves in the doldrums because of the, the life that they lead. And people don't know this, but the highest suicide rate is with correctional officers in the country. Right, right. So we have had this open forums about mental health and wellness, and it doesn't have to be on the other side. See, that's the beauty of me. I don't hold the captors of some type of grudge against those where I was in prison. I work closely with them now. They were just doing a job. And I put myself in prison, and so now let's talk about it. And now this, I, I look at it from a different light, and no one can say because of the pedigree and because of the, the history I had in prison, no one can say that I wasn't the A1 stand-up convict that they had. No one can say that because I, I was a number one jackass. <laughs> I'm saying now the way I look at things are different. So because I look at things differently, so now I'm saying that everyone needs help, including the people who are um, um or uh, the people who are uh, prison prison guards, right? Correctional officers, right? They also need help, right? Right. I don't. I don't think um, people realize that um, you know because the correction officers walk around and they've got their little belts on and they got their little uniforms on and they walk you know straight up. I don't think that they realize that there's not just stress on one side of this. There's stress on both sides of this. Being a formal correction officer, because every day 
you go through those grills, you have no idea what's going to happen exactly. on either side exactly. for the day. You can exactly. spend the whole day running. You can spend the day talking, chatting, but you do not know from minute to minute what's going to set off and what's going to change everybody's life for that day, which makes it a very, very stressful situation. And you don't realize until you come out of that environment, and I'm sure the same is with you, how much stress comes off of you. Right. I, I can say this. So I, I, didn't, I don't think I disclosed this in some of this other conversation, but I'm, I'm awful. I, I, I think I talked about it a little bit. I um, suffered from valley fever. Valley fever is a spore that gets into your lungs. And I've watched several men die that had valley fever while we were incarcerated. But the moment that I was released from um, parole, I, a month later, I took a blood test and I went to my infectious disease doctor, and this might be TMI, but I just want to share this with you. And he said, your valley fevers or tithers are no longer detectable. And I carried this terrible disease for 12, 13 years. And for him to say they're no longer detectable, I felt like a new person. I felt like, whoa. So not this is one less battle that I had to deal with while incarcerated. Right, right. It was almost like everything just started to fall off me, right, except the weight. I'm still fat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we call that good living. We call that good living. And of course, I you know, you got to. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. That is good living. So you don't worry about that at all. But, um, you know, I, I want to say thank you so very much for taking time out of your schedule because you do have a very busy schedule. And, you know, you are the man around town. And so I thank you for coming back, giving us an update. And we're going to have to do it uh, sooner than, than, than a year. Yeah, yeah, sooner than later, Bree. I'll stay yeah, in touch. Yeah. There's going to be a lot happening year. during these holidays. And I need, you know, we need to spread some cheer. I want to also send out a prayer and thoughts and well wishes to your family. You know, and, we all go through our things. And I just wanted you to know that, hey, we're with you on this. Right. And so we I'm here for you it. just as much as you're here for me. And I appreciate it. And, and, I, and I greatly appreciate the friendship. And I thank you for taking time out of your schedule because you do have a busy schedule and you have an important task that you're working and you're doing an awesome job. So I want to commend you and say thank you. Keep doing the good work. And before we close, one more time, because I feel it's so important, not only to the listeners, but to the families, because one in every two families has someone that has to go through something like this. So Please, as we close, close us out with your uh, uh, um, organization information. Sure. We're at The Uncuffed Project. That's T-H-E-U-N-C-U-F-F-E-D project.org. We're on all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all that. We're on all that. I'm not on it, but they are. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, you know, just telling you and documenting, and you guys can go back when you look on our social media. What we like to do is empirically, we like to to show pictures and videos of things that we're actually doing so you really understand that this is real. It's not something that we just made up. And and that's what I, I, I take from that. So thank you guys and thank you for uh, allowing me on your show, Bree. I appreciate you. Always. Anytime. And, you know, God bless you and, and the listeners. Thank you guys for even considering donating to us. I really, really appreciate that. And listeners, um, as we close, I want to encourage you. This is something right here in the Bay Area that you can participate in and you can help. You can, you can 
keep this project going and keep it doing the positive things that Damon has taken um, into his hands to push forward and just in a 18 months period of time. Damon, I wish you nothing but success and I can't wait till we talk again because every time I talk to you, I get to smile because there's so much positivity. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. Appreciate you. No worries. Listeners, that's it for today, and we say thank you for listening, and Damon, thank you so much for coming. You're welcome. Thank you, Greg. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
your credit card bills have gotten out of hand, call Consolidated Credit now. If the interest rates on your credit cards are so high, it'll take years to get out of debt. Call Consolidated Credit now. They've helped over 10 million people. Without destroying your credit, they can reduce your interest rates, lower your total payments up to 50% to get you out of debt fast. For a free consultation, call Consolidated Credit now. The program works. Call 800-336-0167. Consolidated Credit Solutions Incorporated, 5701 West Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33313. Licensed by the New York Department of Financial Services and by the Vermont Department of Financial Regulation. Kansas CSO 0019051. Maryland DM 1492. Oregon DM 892. Licensed by the Virginia State Corporation Commission License Number DC83. Service may adversely affect the individual's credit. Non-payment of debt may lead to additional finance charges or collections activity, including legal action. Actual interest rates, length of program, and monthly payment reductions will vary by consumer and creditor. Yours could be higher or lower. Not a loan company. We do not lend money. to Studio One World Advantage Network. And now you can take us on the go and listen by downloading our app in either the KYBN, Google, or Black the radio Barry station, stores. heard Don't around the world, 24 hours, 7 days a week, 283-6653, and listen to the station free. So what are you waiting for? Download our app now. No, right now. 